welcome to this podcast, recorded live at the Junction Church, Aberdeen. We pray this message inspires and encourages you. For more information, you can connect with us at www.thejunctionchurch.com. I've called it kicking the door down. And um, as you can tell, this is, this is not a passive message this morning because... Um, God has promised us so much in his word, Um, but so often we read promises in the Bible and we think that they sound wonderful and we're inspired for a few minutes and and then nothing happens. And there, there are many, many reasons for that, but, you know, sometimes there is a breakthrough to be had that um, that we don't enter into, and uh, I want to have a look at that this morning. When I was um, young, my mum was a bit. Um, her, she had this educational theory that um, that every child really wants to learn, and um, <laughs> you just have to um, you just have to give them the tools. Uh, to learn and um, and then leave them to it, and when they 're ready they'll um, they 'll pick up the tools and and learn um, It was true in some cases there were certain things that grabbed my interest, um, but it was not true in in every case and um, that is probably why i don 't play a musical instrument today um, it wasn 't for lack of ability but um my mum waited and waited and waited for me to um, to take up the the musical instrument, um, and it never happened. <laughs> but I did I did have um, brief encounter with music um, with an instrument called the recorder. <laughs> uh, when um, when my kids come back from school and when I visit the music department in my own school. I um, I see all the amazing instruments kids get to get to play today. Um, that wasn't the case when I was at school. We um, we got to play two things. Um, one was the recorder, and the other later on, very exciting, um, was this little thing uh, whose name I forget, but it had a, it um, it was like a keyboard except it only had one octave on it. <laughs> it sat on the table. And um, it had a plastic tube that came up from the end and went into your mouth. <laughs> and you blow down the tube and then, um, and then play the keys. <laughs> Maybe it had two octaves, um, <laughs> but uh, certainly no more than that. So um, music was, um, was not the most exciting. If somebody had given me a guitar or, or even a proper keyboard, I might have taken more of an interest in it. Um, but I did learn a, a little bit of recorder, and there was a, a very keen teacher in my school who wanted to set up a recorder group. And um, I thought, well, I can, I can play the recorder, I'll go, go along to that. And almost immediately, I regretted it. <laughs> um, partly because um, everyone else there was girls, which if I'd been slightly older would have been a huge attraction. But <laughs> At the age of 10, I wasn't quite at that stage yet. <laughs> so um, the other problem was um, they, were all, they were all much better than me. And as the weeks went by, 
um, the, the gap between us grew greater and greater. Uh, why? Because they were practicing and I wasn't. <laughs> you know, if you want to learn a musical instrument, it takes a bit of effort, it takes a bit of pushing through, it takes a bit of, of motivation. And that motivation might be self-motivation or it, it might be a parent saying... No computers until you've, um, you've practiced your musical instrument. And by the way, parents, if, if you want your kids to learn an instrument, you may have to do a bit of that. Uh, I don't follow my mum's um, theories on this. Sometimes there's self-discipline and sometimes there's um, discipline imposed from the outside. <laughs> So anyway, after about six months, I um, was uh, absolutely hating this recorder group. And um, one day when um, somebody knocked on the door of the, of the classroom and said, it's, it's recorder group, is anybody, is anybody coming? I kept my head down. And um, it was a supply teacher that was in. And so she didn't know I went to the recorder group. And I thought, great, I'm safe. Um, <laughs> And then somebody spoke up, and Miss Owen goes to the recorder group. <laughs> I thought, oh, no. And um, I said, um, actually, I don't go to that anymore. <laughs> and she said, you'd better go and see the recorder teacher. So I stumped along and um, made my apologies and um, said I didn't want to be a part of the group anymore. And waves of relief passed over me. <laughs> as I returned to the classroom um, for the last time. But, you know, I could have made that a success if there had been a, a motivation on the inside, if there had been a passion on the inside, or even some self-discipline on the inside. I could have made a success of that. And I want to look this morning at a couple of incidents in the Bible where there are people that behave very like I did with the recorder. First, 2 Kings 13 says, Now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, Get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he'd taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared. You will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, take the arrows, and the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. So here's a king who's given a promise by God. You will completely destroy the Arameans. But then suddenly it seems like the, the promise isn't going to come true. I bet... At the end of this incident, the king was really, really irritated with Elisha. Uh, he'd, he'd be thinking, these are just a load of stupid arrows. What does it matter how many times I hit the ground with them? And what's more, it's not fair. 
because you didn't tell me how many times to hit the ground with them. What he doesn't realize is that this drama with the arrows is intended to expose something that's been invisible, something deep in the king's heart. And it's called half-heartedness. When Elisha tells the king to strike the arrows on the ground, he hits them three times. We're not told how hard he hits them, but I reckon it's pretty feeble. I I reckon he's, he's thinking this is a bit of a silly thing to do. And he picks up the arrows and he goes... And that's it. And it's, it's not so much that the, the importance wasn't in the, the number of times that he, that he hit the arrows. You know, if he'd, if he'd hit them a hundred times in a, in a flippant and hard-hearted way, it would still have exposed the same thing in his heart. The reason he wasn't going to have the complete victory was... Because of this half-hearted attitude, this wasn't a king who was pursuing God. This was, a, this was a king who was doing his own thing. This was a king who was leading Israel astray. This was a king who had one foot in each camp. He, he, he respected Elisha because Elisha was useful, but he also wanted to do his own thing and um, make his money and worship his idols, whatever he was up to. Interestingly, look at verse 14. He calls Elisha the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And he's really, and I think genuinely, distressed that that Elisha seems to be soon to die. By calling him the chariots and horsemen, he's basically saying that Elisha is the true defender of Israel. And, you know, that's good if he's simply saying that spiritual power is greater than military power. That's absolutely true. But I wonder if what he's actually thinking is, we're going to be in a terrible state because there'll be no one to defend Israel once you're gone. And it's easy to look at someone else who's living in the promises of God and, and perhaps to rely on that person. And then when it seems to be going to land on you to think, well, it's all right for you, but they don't work for me. We need to believe that the promises of God work for everyone. Rather than waiting for the man of God to come along and get the job done for you, often God is saying it's time for you to rise up. It's time for you to get some faith in your heart. It's time for you to get some passion in your life and start taking the fight to the enemy yourself. There are certain sort of um, charismatic sayings which really irritate me. Um, One of them is when someone says, the Lord closed the door. And um, I'll give you an example of this. Um, lady I knew some, some years ago, she'd, uh, she'd set up a business and it was quite a specialized business um, which really needed a wider audience and the obvious thing was to go online, set up a, a website to sell, sell her goods and she knew that and she'd got in touch with a, a guy who could make that happen for her and it all seemed to be going ahead and then nothing happened, and I asked her about it, and she said, uh, well, I, I sent the guy a couple of emails, 
And he didn't reply. So the Lord must be closing a door. (laughs) So many things can close the door. The circumstances of life can close the door. The the forgetfulness of another person can close the door. um, And the opposition of the enemy can close the door. If God clearly spoke to you and told you he was closing the door, then that's fair enough. But otherwise, just because a door is closed doesn't mean God did it. And sometimes God's promises lie beyond that door, exactly as you always thought they did. And God's saying, it's time to kick the door down. Many, many years ago, we had a a visiting speaker at a conference, a guy called David Hogan, who um, had a, a massive outreach organization in, in Mexico, um, sending people into places, parts of Mexico which had never heard the gospel before. And he told about how he received this team of, Amer- of American students from a, at the time, well-known Bible college in America, and he wasn't enormously impressed with these students, so he set up a bit of a test. He drove them down to this, um, this piece of land that he had purchased to, to build a building of some sort on, and it was an absolute jungle. There were, there were trees, there were creepers, there were um, plants growing all over the place, And he gave each of them a machete and said, your job is to clear that land. And some of them point blank refused to do it. They said, we came here to get a spiritual impartation. And they went back to the truck and um, refused to join in. Others, um, they picked up the machete, they had a bit of a go, and then they gave up and went back to to the truck. After 30 minutes, David Hogan went down to the jungle to have a look, and he gathered the, the group that was left, a small minority of the team that had started, and he said, you guys are the ones I want to impart into. And what he was looking for was that passion on the inside. What he was looking for was that desire to get the job done. What he was looking for was a a spirit that says, I will not give up because the job seems hard. And that jungle, I've no doubt that he eventually flattened that jungle and that he flattened it one machete stroke at a time. You know, sometimes we just need to stick at it. But um, we can't see how God's going to work. We can't see what's going to happen in the future. We can't see how the breakthrough is going to come. We just need to keep hacking away until God steps in. 30 minutes. That was all it took to to separate, as it were, the the sheep from the goats. (laughs) Joshua 17. I think we see this um, illustrated again. It says, within Issachar and Asher, Manasseh also had Beth Shan, Iblim, and the people of Dor, Endor, Tanakh, and Megiddo, together with their surrounding settlements. The third in the list is Naphoth. So this is describing... 
This is describing the, the land that Joshua had allocated to the tribe of Manasseh. But look at this. Yet the, the Manassites were not able to occupy these towns for the Canaanites were determined to live in that region. The Canaanites were saying, naff off. <laughs> so, the Manassites were unable to occupy because the Canaanites were determined. But God himself had said that the land was theirs. These people have got a promise from God. It's been spoken so many times. This is the promised land. I'm giving it to you. And Joshua, God's mouthpiece, had allocated this land to Manasseh. So they've got the promise of God, but the door's closed. The promise still lies behind that door. But these guys won't even rattle the handle. And so they settle for less than God intended. What has God spoken to us? What's our response to the closed door? You see, our enemy is also determined to live in that region. He's determined to live in your marriage. He's determined to live in your business. He's determined to live in your bank account. He's determined to live in your promises, in your promised land. But a people of faith and a people of passion can rise up and force him out of the land. When our church started looking for a building, the enemy was determined to live in that region. He was not releasing any buildings to, to churches. You know, we looked at this building and that. I looked at a building in central Inverness, um, which gives us far more, get, would give us far less space even than the, um, the, the auditorium downstairs that we have today. And the rent for this building was £57,000 a year. The enemy was determined to live in that region. But sometimes you need to make a decision. If God has spoken and God began increasingly as the years went by to speak to us about a building, then the door may be closed, but the promises lie beyond it. Look what happens next. Joshua 17.13 However, When the Israelites grew stronger, they subjected the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. What we see here is the people are growing in their natural strength. They're getting bigger. They're getting better. And so they begin to assert some authority over the Canaanites. But it's a compromise. It's a partial victory. The land was supposed to be theirs. It wasn't a case of, of reach and accommodation. It wasn't a, a case of make a partnership with the Canaanites. It was send them packing. And we can be tempted to compromise too. There are, there are gains we can make in our natural strength. You know, sometimes we, we say things like, I can't do anything without God. It's not completely true. There are actually some things you can do without God. um, But they're not the most worthwhile things in life. Um, They're they're the things that everybody else can do. But these these guys, they've, um, they've grown in their natural strength and they're exerting that natural strength. 
You know, there were some things we could do as a church in our natural ability. We could, we could afford a pretty reasonable hotel room on a Sunday. I didn't have to pray for an hour every week to, to get the money for that hotel room. It was within our, our natural reach. But God said there's more. God says, don't settle for that compromise. God says, there's, there's more beyond the door. And then these people, they come to Joshua. Why have you given us only one allotment and one portion for an inheritance? We are a numerous people and the Lord has blessed us abundantly. These people have, have got a bit of a revelation of God's abundance. They've experienced some, some blessing. But they fall into the trap that many of us can do as Christians as well. They're expecting the blessing of God to be handed to them on a plate. And when that doesn't happen, they find somebody to blame. It's Joshua's fault because he didn't give them enough land. And when the promises of God don't get handed to us on a plate, we're we're tempted to do the same. Our human nature wants to do the same, to complain and to find somebody to blame. It's my parents' fault. They didn't bring me up right. It's my husband's fault. He's feeble. It's It's my boss's fault. He won't let me do anything. It's my pastor's fault. He hasn't got the right vision for me. (laughs) And we expect it to be given to us. How does Joshua respond? He says this. If you're so numerous, Joshua answered, and if the hill country of Ephraim is too small for you, go up into the forest and clear land for yourselves there in the land of the Perizzites and Rephites. So Josh says there is land there, and it's time to kick the door down. The land was available to the Manasites, but they needed to do something to get it. They had to get to work to clear that land themselves. And sometimes we're sitting back and waiting for God when God's saying, go for it. God's given us spiritual land, and sometimes buildings also. And he's guaranteed the the victory. But to take it, we need to do something. It's time for people of faith and people of passion to rise up and to claim the land. Matthew eleven twelve, Jesus said this, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. Some of your Bibles might say violent men lay hold of it. And this doesn't speak of some, some passive little prayer. This speaks of somebody claiming their rights. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we have rights because we're acting on Jesus' behalf. Yeah. We're Jesus' representatives here on the earth. So yeah. what he has won, we need to claim in yeah. Jesus' name. Yeah. The kingdom of God advances when we take ground from the enemy by force. Don't be discouraged by a fight. We should expect it. When an occupier takes someone's land, he doesn't give it up willingly. Hitler occupied much of Europe, and he didn't willingly release that because a lot of people moaned and complained. No, he had to be forced 
to give the land back to its rightful owners. And in our church, we got together at the beginning of 2010, because God had really been speaking to me about the, the, the building, or our building, a theoretical building. We'd had a building fund for a number of years, but to be honest, the, the offerings were pretty feeble. Uh, Everybody liked the idea of, of a building, but I didn't feel anybody was putting any effort into it. And so I got the church together. The core of the church was just a handful of people, um, you know, the, the sort that would, um, would commit to anything. Um, there were probably just a, a dozen or so of us. So I got everyone together in the living room, and I said, why don't we this year um, commit to give more? Why don't we set up some standing orders and um, give sacrificially above and beyond our tithes and offerings and believe for breakthrough? And, you know, I really believe that that decision by most of those guys in the church at the time to, to jump on board, to set up a standing order and um, to pay in, 50 pounds, in some cases 100 pounds a month into the, the building fund. That was a key to breakthrough. It wasn't that over the course of that year we raised all the money for the building. Far from it. But sometimes it's a bit like hitting the arrows on the ground. When you start doing something, then God gets into action on our behalf. Verse 16. The people of Joseph replied, The hill country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who live in the plain have iron chariots, both those in Beth Shan and its settlements, and those in the valley of Jezreel. Here's their response to Joshua. Joshua is casting vision. Go into this country. Claim it for yourself. And they respond with more moans. The hill country is not enough for us. Well, why not start there and then look beyond? And look at the next one. All the Canaanites who live in the plain have iron chariots. First of all, I think this is exaggeration. I very much doubt if all the Canaanites who live in the plain have iron chariots. We tend to exaggerate the opposition. But there's no doubt, Joshua doesn't deny it, that there were some iron chariots there. And our enemy, too, has an intimidating arsenal at his disposal. We need to be people of faith, not people of fear, to look beyond the enemy's arsenal at the, the breakthrough that God has planned. There were a multitude of iron chariots against our building project. Here's a few of them. There were negative people. Negative people are a pretty bad iron chariot. <laughs> we used to run our um, monthly Ignite event for young people in, in a, a Christian center in Inverness. And there was this guy in there who, who was, was plugged in to, um, to churches and Christians all over the city. It was like 
Whenever there was a piece of gossip, particularly negative gossip, this guy would, would grab hold of it. And um, he got talking to Kate one day. And this was as we, we had purchased the building and we're now thinking, what next? And he, sa- he said, I hear people are saying you've bitten off more than you can chew. <laughs> and um, Kate knew exactly who had been saying that. It was some dis- disgruntled people who had left our church. <laughs> he said, I, I hear that building's riddled with asbestos. You know, people put a spin on things, don't they? It's absolutely true there was asbestos in the building, but when you say riddled, it, it makes it sound like an impossible task to, to, to get rid of it, doesn't it? It's the sort of word that makes you just want to, to lie down and die. <laughs> then there was the, the iron chariot of not enough people. We, um, at the time we bought the building, we were at a real low point in numbers. There would, have been, there would have been no more than 20 adults in the church in total. And bitten off more than you can chew, naturally speaking, there was really quite a bit of truth in that. But, um, you know, people of faith need to rise up yeah. above the natural and, and look at what God is speaking. Yeah. Then there was the iron chariot of no money. Um, we'd, we'd done pretty well in building up our building fund, but, um, but all of it and more had gone into buying the building. And here's this building sitting there um, to, to many people's viewpoint, uh, um, an old wreck, Sitting there, um, we can't use it because it's a bit like um, when you guys were in the Langstein Kirk. Um, if we move into this building, I, I used to tell people this, this building, as it is today, has already killed one church. Because they, <laughs> the, the church that sold it to us had, um, had pretty much faded away to nothingness. Uh, it was damp, it was cold, it was enormous. It was, um, it was smelly. It was, um, it was everything that was just going to pressurize a small church and shut it down. But that can change. That can change as you rise up. That can change as you, you get hold of a vision as to what that building can be. And so these iron chariots are reigned against us. Negative people. Riddled with asbestos, <laughs> tiny congregation, no money. And, you know, if we had focused on those things, um, as sometimes I did, I must admit, remember one night we'd had a meeting with some people in the church that were supposed to be helping us with the building project. Um, helping wasn't, wasn't really the word. I came away from these meetings terribly depressed <laughs> because... <laughs> They were very, very good at um, spotting every problem that was going to arise. Um, And many of the problems were real. Um, There were a few imaginary ones. (laughs) Negative people um, tend to find uh, imaginary problems too. But many of the problems were real. There really were iron chariots there. And one winter's night, I heard the, 
the, the wind and the rain crashing against the house. And I thought, that wind, that rain, it's crashing against the building. I know there's a, a leak in the roof. The water will be pouring through. The structure will just be disintegrating. Uh, what, what have I done? And the voice of the enemy, the voice of negativity, will draw your attention to all these things. And we need to make sure that our attention doesn't stay there, but it returns to the promises of God. Back to Josh. But Joshua said to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, You are numerous and very powerful. You will have not only one allotment, but the forested hill country as well. In other words, there is stacks of land there. If these people would just rise up and take it. Though the Canaanites have iron chariots, and though they are strong, you can drive them out. This is the voice of faith. God had not given these people a measly portion. There was plenty, but they had not occupied the land. Joshua doesn't deny the facts. Canaanites are powerful, and the Canaanites do have iron chariots. But he's looking beyond those circumstances. He's looking to the supernatural power of God to change circumstances. When Hudson Taylor said he was going to China, he told people he was going to trust God. And people told him, trusting God is a beautiful theory, but it won't work. They said his mission would not last seven years. Many decades later, he said, Thank God it has worked and it does work. Sometimes it takes time. We've been battering away at our building project for, if you take it back to that meeting in 2010, um, for nine and a half years now. And at first, there was nothing to show for it. But you know, at first... What you're doing is you're changing something spiritually. As you pray, as you prepare, as you plan, as you express your faith in God, as you begin to act, there may be nothing to see, no results. But things are changing in the spirit. And as you keep pressing in, as you keep moving forward in your lives personally, as a church, as you keep advancing, then things begin to change in the natural and as things change, people say, people's minds change, people's attitudes change, people's responses change, people realize it can be done, and then they get on board. Sometimes you need to pioneer, you need to press in, where, where other people won't believe, where other people won't believe that the promises of God are still there behind the door. You need to lead the way in kicking that door down. Whatever promise God has spoken... Don't settle for anything less. Keep claiming that ground. Can we have some keys, please? God said this about Caleb. You remember Caleb was one of the spies who went into the promised land. And all the spies saw the giants in the land. All the spies saw the opposition that was going to be there the the iron chariots if you like but Caleb unlike most of the others he says we can go in and this is what God says about Caleb but because 
My servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. We need that different spirit. We need to follow God wholeheartedly. And God will bring us into the land and our, inher- our descendants will inherit it. A different spirit. A spirit which will rise up in the face of adversity. A spirit of faith, a spirit of passion, a spirit of zeal. A spirit which will not take no for an answer. A spirit which will kick down the door to enter into the promises of God. And when we follow God wholeheartedly, we will enter into the land of promise and our descendants will inherit it. Thanks for joining with us. For more information about events, service times and how to connect with us, visit www.thejunctionchurch.com.